Jerry, if I walked up to you with a gallon jug that said neem oil marked pesticides and I poured a glass of it, would you drink it? Pesticides? Andy, I would not drink that. Then why would you eat it? What is happening, you beautiful bastards? Lots and lots of shit. They're delicious. Facebook sucks. All we've talked about is war and cannibalism. Oh well. He loves fucking bananas. It's disgusting. What? It's crazy. What's going on, Jerry? Well, today we have a... I don't know. This topic was pretty tough for me because there's so much information, but today... There's a shit ton. There's right. a lot of contradicting info, too. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Uh, hopefully, we can straighten out a little bit for you guys. But today, we're going to tell you guys everything we know about organic and conventional farming. And Grizz, how much do we know about farming? Before this week? Meh. Uh, well, I was going to say everything, but yes, <laughs> meh, that too. <laughs> so farming, it's, uh, it's a weird thing we have in modern society, especially in America. We get fed a lot of bullshit about it, figuratively and literally. But it's really hard to unpack what's actually going on. And I can't promise you guys a definitive answer by the end of this show. But I think you can take away enough info today to at least understand what you're looking for. And my personal view is that organic is always better. But after researching for the episode, sometimes it's really not much different. And to be fair, I don't always buy organic. Uh, for one, it's a lot more expensive at the consumer end, and it can turn a $200 cart into a $400 cart pretty easily. And I've, actually, I've done that before an accident. Walked in <laughs> expecting to spend 20 bucks and spent 90. Um, I do draw hard lines, though, on certain things. And that would be things like uh, aspartame and glyphosate. And they are really bad stuff. But we can get into those details later in the episode. Uh, how about you, Gris? Do you have any biases you lean on before or after our research on this episode? Well, I have, uh, I don't know if you know this, Jerry, I have some pesticide background. <clears throat> I was never an applier, but I had to have my license, and okay. I was certified. So I've had to learn some things about pesticides. So I knew the the basis of where organics was and what they wanted to be. So I never really fully bought into the organic thing. Uh, my wife has at times. Um, I think the theory of organics is ideal. I think it's perfect. The application, not so much. Well... Well, I could I could kind of agree with you, but I think a lot of the application issues are really uh, Western society problems because we're the ones that are doing all this uh, industrial farming. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's give the listeners the info that we got and see where they stand on it. So first, let's go over what the difference is. What's organic? What's conventional? And conve so conventional farming despite its name, is actually the newer style of farming between the two. Uh, I don't understand why they decided to go with that name. It's probably something to do with marketing because that's it's kind of an American thing. We make everything sound cool even though it's really shitty. Well, we're also really dumb mobs, so conventional to us thinks the way it's been. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't even a widespread practice until after World War II. Um, and the actual name is industrial farming because really at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's not, yeah. there's nothing conventional about it. It has become conventional 
because of the convenience and the massive amount of money involved. But conventional farming is classified by farming systems that include uh, monoculture crops, intense tilling, extreme irrigation, the use of GMOs, which we'll get into that a little bit. Some are good and some are bad. Uh, the concentration of animal feeding, which is essentially they stuff them all into a box and that's where they live and that's how they eat. And they pretty much force it down their throat. That's how I feed my kids. Sometimes you have to. My kids won't eat unless I force it down their throat. Then you get into the use of synthetic chemical fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides. Now, I know this list sounds scary, and it has the potential to turn our planet into the earth from interstellar, but at the end of the day, we do need some aspects of conventional farming. And organic farming, it's a little bit different. Uh, well, actually, it's almost entirely the opposite. So allegedly, they don't use artificial fertilizers, artificial pesticides, or livestock feed additives for growth. And they rotate and compost their crops. They use biological pest control instead of chemicals. They conserve water as much as possible. They maintain soil fertility, and they have reduced energy consumption and reduced pollution. This sounds amazing, doesn't it, Grizz? Yeah, this is in theory. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, it does. Sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds great. A lot of things in writing sound really great. Well, like I said in the beginning, that in theory, organics is perfect. Well, if we switched entirely to this form of farming today, like we didn't change anything, we just, every farm is now organic, we're going to run into some serious problems feeding the global population. Uh, according to estimates, crop yields from organic farms only total about 80% of conventional farming. And we already struggle to feed everybody. And it would definitely be a rough transition after seeing the damage done by conventional farming. Uh, it's roughly, uh, we'll check into this a little bit later in the show, but I think it was about 30% of farmland is depleted to the point we can't use it anymore, uh, globally speaking. Yeah, they have to do crop rotations. Yeah. Uh, and I know I said I lean towards organic farming, but there are issues with both ways of doing business. And it's looking more and more like we need to marry the two schools of thought into one cohesive plan and maybe even spend more time researching hydroponics farming, which we're not going to go into hydroponics in this episode, but uh, there's a lot to be said about that that can really help us out. In the end, I think it really all comes down to the people who are the farmers. Yeah. Is it is it big aggro that's doing the farming, or is it, you know, little Joe Schmo over here who's trying to do it the right way? Well, there's a little bit of all of that going on. Uh, but I think one thing people need to understand about conventional farming to really understand the difference here is where it came from, because it's hard to convince someone to change if they don't know how we even got here. Uh, so yeah. like I mentioned, conventional farming, it got really popular after World War II. But why'd that happen? Everyone came home? <laughs> yep. It kind of because of everybody came home, yeah, indirectly. Uh, but before World War II, all our food came from local farms or at least close enough that you knew where it came from. Right now, if I went and bought an apple, if there wasn't a country sticker on it, I have no idea where I got it. I mean, we, Jerry and I both really like avocados. Yeah. Now, going off the commercial, I'd think they were all from Mexico. A lot of them are not. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where I get my avocados, other than the country of origin, because that's the sticker on it, but I don't know anything about it. But even then, the country of origin isn't always correct. Yeah, that's just where it got shipped in from, really. Which actually, total side note, did you know there's a cartel 
that it's based completely around the growing of avocados. So there's some kind of avocado cartel. And how did they even go about building an illegal business on that? Or is it even illegal? It's not, it's not so much as it's an All right, so avocados itself are not illegal, right? right? But they are a cash cow. And so right now, there's a cartel that goes and exploits the farmers and will, like, kidnap them for money and everything. They just switched over from cocaine to avocado. Makes sense. And eventually, food is going to outweigh cocaine and value on the street. So we'll find out. So before we had issues with uh, avocado cartels, <laughs> around 1945, farming technology blew up. And heavy equipment replaced farm animals almost entirely in less than 10 years. Scientific advancements in genetics, fertilizers, seeds, and chemicals discovered in the 30s started to be accepted and implemented by farmers. Now, this stuff existed before the war, uh, but farmers really couldn't afford them, for one. But also, after the war, there were government forces pushing them to use them. And I think those government forces were also being pushed by Monsanto. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. Another major player was electricity. After World War II, everybody came home, like you mentioned, and the workforce started to grow again. These people went to work in trades and manufacturing, which back then was jobs that we still had. And that resulted in about 98% of rural residents having electricity by 1960. So electricity changed how everyone lived, and farm people were able to reduce their amount of labor and exposure to work hazards. And now with the power of electricity and hydraulic and diesel farm equipment behind them, they increased their production numbers by huge amounts. And throughout this whole technological infrastructure shift, rural, uh, rural Americans were slowly gaining more and more access to mass culture, which I guess now we would call pop culture. Uh, you know, stuff that we see on TV and the internet now. Uh, but they did it through the radio in the 30s and 40s. And then as they got into the 50s and 60s, they got that information through the TV. And if there's one thing social media taught us about cultural exposure, it's that it will inevitably change the landscape of human interactions and decision-making. Usually not for the better. Uh, but then the final nail, nail in the old world farming coffin was roads. Uh, I know we take them for granted today, and a lot of people think the United States pretty much just always had them. But we did not. After World War II, federal and local governments transformed the transportation industry. And really, they spent the three decades from the 30s through the 60s doing it, but it didn't ramp up until after World War II uh, made a lot of money for people that were going to be spending all this money on the infrastructure. But this took rural roads from off-road goat paths, which is essentially what we had before World War II, and they either paved permanent roads or they had consistently maintained gravel roads. And this gave farmers dependable access to markets, culture, and modern conveniences. So as a direct result of these advancements, American farmers, for pretty much the first time in the history of our country, had free time. And they fucking loved it. I don't blame them. Because <laughs> they realize now they had access to some badass shit, like the World's Fair and Howard Stark's flying cars. Flying cars? That's actually, now that we're on that topic, that's... There's a lot of issues with the 40s and 50s, like, you know, mm -hmm. rampant racism and sexism. But they had the Those World's Fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were issues, Andy. Oh, my bad. They had the World's Fair. And I'm, I'm pretty jealous of this because we don't really have shit like that anymore. It's not like we're going to go there and see a flying car 
hovering on the stage and it's going to blow our mind. We're just going to see that and be like, hey, I'm not driving that. It's you know YouTube I mean? nowadays. Yeah, everybody has that shit now. Not Listen, flying cars. Flying but- cars is never going to be a thing unless it's completely automated. You can't trust people with two axes currently. You're going to give them a third? Yeah. I've actually I've made that argument too. A lot of people are like, we're not, we're going to have flying cars in 50 years. Uh, no, they won't even nope. let us have drones because we, we already had a guy who hit a helicopter with a drone last week. Did we really? Yeah. He flew it up into the flight path of a medical helicopter and tanked the windshield. Listen, I'm still 100% ready for Amazon to be delivering packages via drone to my house. We're almost there. And they didn't have those awesome technological advancements back then. But they did realize once they had more information flow and access to and from cities, that inner cities were not the hellscape they heard through that old world grapevine. And they could make a living that didn't involve hard manual labor from dawn till dusk every day of their miserable farmer lives. So they moved into urban areas in record numbers. And the increase in farming efficiency reduced the need for farm workers to the extent that they probably had to move anyway just to find work. And this time frame in America saw the fastest drop in rural populations in history, before and after. What's funny is now people are going back to the farmland. Yeah, but they're also not really going back to... It's borderline slave labor. I mean, back then there was slave labor, but now you'd be choosing it. It's it's a really hard life to farm that way. So uh, yes and no. I mean, I uh, I have some experience in the farm equipment industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those equipments are GPS driven, so you're literally sitting inside of it just to make sure that it doesn't run over a person. Well, Andy, they didn't have GPS driven farm equipment in 1935. Yeah, but nowadays, I just said nowadays, Jerry. They had 10-year-olds driving them back then. Okay, uh, they probably still have 10-year-olds driving them now, and guess what? They're probably more mature than most 30-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy that. Um, so this all, all these changes, it coincided with the birth of the baby boomer generation. Oh. A generation that was the first to experience easy economic advancement and wealth and 100% blind to the damage it would cause, and they rode this wave right into the Cold War. The Cold War was a new experience for the world, and because of the advancement in farming technology, the world did even more to boost farm production, leading to widespread use of conventional farming methods we're talking about now. And Truman and Eisenhower both used food production as a weapon of war, essentially, during that time. They wanted to show Russia we had enough food to weather a nuclear winter and come out on top. And... They used our excess food stores to make political allies by sending food-based aid to countries who needed it. So, it's not exactly the most exciting thing, but it's a brief summary on how we ended up going down the mass production road for farming. War never changes, but it always changes the countries involved. And besides, who the hell wants to work like they did their whole life? I know Andy might want to. I don't want to step foot on a fucking farm. I don't even want chickens. My wife wants chickens. Fuck that. Dude, fresh eggs is the shit. Sure it is. But like I told you, now I got to find someone to watch my stupid ass birds. If I go on vacation, I told you, have the coyote do it. <laughs> now, I don't for, have enough land to have chickens. You can my neighbors would be bullshit. So for the listeners, uh, I live out in the woods and I have almost every North American predator except for bears and cougars. I'm not going to get chickens. I live outside the city and I have a quarter acre. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that we know why we use industrial farming. Let's talk about why it sucks and why organic farming 
sucks too. In fact, yes. all farming sucks. We need, to make, suck. we need to make the switch to Soylent Green. Uh, the only, su- <laughs> the only Andy, farming that I can say isn't that bad. It's probably the one that happens in my backyard and maybe down the street. That's a little different. So, Andy, do you know what Soylent Green is? Uh, I've heard it before. I know it's from a movie. I believe it's people. It's people! Soylent <laughs> Green is people! <laughs> Uh, that's a little before most people's time, but that's my favorite line from that movie. Uh, it's from the movie Soylent Green. It's a movie from 1973 starring Charlton Heston, and he plays a detective in the year 2022, so we're almost there, where the government came up with this food product they called Soylent Green to solve a food crisis. Sound familiar, Andy? Uh, just a little bit. Sounds just like real life. Uh, but they did this we because farming... We don't have farming... so much of a f- food crisis, though. Oh, we're our on our way. food crisis is the fact... That Americans can't eat food that doesn't look perfect. <laughs> well, I don't think that was the issue here, but we're on our way to the issue that they had here, which is also the same issue in Interstellar. Uh, but in the movie, farming couldn't keep up with a massively over- overpopulated planet, and he, de- the detective, discovers that Soylent Green is actually made up mostly of old people, but also some other people too. Uh, Army Hammer would love it. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, do they taste like what they eat? Uh, I don't know. It just looks like a protein bar. This one tastes like Cheetos. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's uh, get into the details here. <clears throat> People tuned in to hear about farming, Andy. And all we've not talked cannibalism? about... cannibalism? All we've, all we've talked about is war and cannibalism. This is not farming. So, Wait, what's up with what? conventional farming? Most of us kind of know. There's some pretty fucked up practices involved with uh, this type of farming. One of them, which is the major concern, is chemicals. Mmm, pesticides, insecticides, fungicides. They're delicious. So the major concerns with chemicals are environmental. And, well, there's a human aspect too, but environmentally, we have water pollution and fertilizer runoff causing a special uh, issue called eutrophication, Mm. which is... So they, get, they take this, um, these chemical fertilizers, they put them down, and then they get washed out into rivers. And they end up in lakes, the ocean, and shit like that. But there's still nutrients at that time. They're synthetic, but they're still nutrients, and they don't really dissolve as readily or break down. They actually Yeah, they're take, not meant to. They take years to break down. But what, it, what ends up happening is it uh, fertilizes lake beds, and it causes a huge bloom of whatever plant life is in there. And over the course of probably 50 to 100 years, you, end up, you actually end up with your lakes filling in and drying up because there's so much plant life building so much sediment at the bottom that the lake has no room for the water anymore. Interesting. I did not know that. Yep. That's eutrophication. And uh, then you also end up with things like chemical leaching. Uh, but then the human aspect of chemical contamination and human illness... Namely in the, the way of cancer, which everything causes cancer, but uh, this stuff in particular. There's a lot of things classified as a chemical in conventional farming. Not all of them are harmful. And one chemical that I wanted to get into here was glyphosate, because that's actually been a hot topic lately in the UK and around the world. Are uh, you familiar with this one, Andy? Yes. Glyphosate, which is just a chemical... Uh, herbicide actually it's for uh 
killing weeds and stuff like that. So in conventional farming, the less room you have taken up by weeds, the more room you have to plant whatever your crop is. Uh, it goes by another name that you might know, and it's Roundup. So Yeah, there's Roundup, a lot of different Roundups. Yeah, so this, this one specifically is the one from Monsanto. And it's actually outright banned in 10 jurisdictions that include uh, Germany, Saudi Arabia, and Vietnam. And 15 other countries restrict its use severely. And the World Health Organization actually lists it as a probable carcinogen. So they use the term probably because of legal speak. But Monsanto has already been successfully sued for millions by people who got cancer from Roundup exposure. And glyphosate is the main ingredient in Roundup. So I actually think Europe has this one right. But we get stuck with it because here in the U.S., we have a special term for our regulatory agencies. And it's called a captured agency. This is actually the first time I heard this term. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's very fitting. So the EPA is one of these captured agencies. It means the agency is dominated by the industry it's supposed to regulate, which is, if you're an American, you know that's almost every industry. Yep. Basically, in America, we have this fantastic system in place uh, in our government where if they regulate an industry and that industry pays the government enough money, they don't really have to worry about public safety regulations being implemented and hurting their bottom line. I would say, if actually, you'll find out when we get into organics, it does the same damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty fucked up over here. So, sorry, UK. Uh, we have new listeners, actually, in Germany and the UK. So, sorry we're killing you. I didn't mean it. <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> we're actually at the mercy of our government, just like the rest of the world. And a bunch of rich assholes. So, uh, glyphosate is a really good herbicide, which is why they keep doing this. It's really effective at killing weeds and plants that farmers don't want, but the combination of killing weeds and the monocrop method with this type of farming damages biodiversity. That's pretty much just a fancy word for a balanced ecosystem. And when you grow a massive amount of one type of plant, it strips the soil of nutrients used by that plant without putting anything back in. Yeah, it pulls out whatever it may be, magnesium, potassium, or whatever. It just keeps pulling that, where if you rotate crops, each one pulls something different. Yeah. So one of the issues they run into is if they don't rotate crops, for one, you just suck up the same nutrients and, and deplete them in that area. But they're also not composting any of this. They do this uh, really uh, invasive tilling method. They just tear up the ground after they're done but all the crops were cleared. There's there's no organic material left over to go back into the dirt. No, they and, usually, they'll throw down a fertilizer, but it's a synthetic fertilizer. Yeah, th this is actually why they use synthetic fertilizers, because there's nothing left in the dirt. Uh, we're finding out now, though, that the effects of all these chemicals are stretching out farther than they ever considered. And actually, uh, back in our episode uh, about the election, I think I touched on this a little bit, um, but... I'll get into that in a second here. We ended up in this situation where we have no choice but to use uh, all these chemicals in conventional farms because of how damaging that farming style is to the environment. We end up clear-cutting huge amounts of trees to make room for crop fields, for one. And when they do have a couple cycles of monocrop and tilling, it totally depletes the ground, like we were just saying. Then they have to start dumping these massive quantities of chemical-based uh, synthetic fertilizers on future crops, and the lack of other available plant life in the area makes bug problems worse. Because now the bugs don't have their normal food, what are they going to go to? You also run into a massive issue 
if you have one crop and that's all you grow, and let's let's use corn for example because it's a nice <clears> and easy one. If all I grow is corn, and it and let's now in the conventional usually they'll have a strand that's that's uh, disease resistant, but if a disease comes in, it'll wipe out that entire crop. Where if you have several different crops in there, you don't have to worry about losing your entire fucking yield. Yeah, you have you have backup crops that are not affected by the same diseases. As a lot of these plant-based uh, diseases, they don't they don't necessarily jump to other species of plant. So a corn virus, uh, sorry, a corn disease, it's not necessarily going to kill all your broccoli. You know what I mean? No, it'll wipe the fuck out of corn. Yeah, uh, and actually, that's how bananas went away. Tell me more. So. Jerry and I had a discussion with a coworker the other day about why artificial banana doesn't taste like bananas. That's because back in the day, we couldn't get bananas in the States, right? I don't remember what year this is. We'll say it's probably the 50s. So they had a banana, and I believe it's called the Candish. I don't know. Don't quote me there. But they had a banana, and they... They marketed the flavor of this banana, which tastes like artificial banana, right? But before they could ever get it mainstreamed to the U.S., a blight came in and completely eradicated it from this earth. So you can't even get those bananas anymore. Now you're left over with what's left. Notice your banana doesn't have seeds in it. That's because your banana doesn't have seeds, and it can't actually plant a seed. Every banana tree that we have nowadays, they... um. I think it's a, uh, is it propagate? Yeah. Where they cut a piece off of it and replant it. Oh, so they have to do, okay. I didn't know that that, that was actually how they had to reproduce bananas. That's, uh, yeah. that's pretty shitty. I love fucking bananas. Uh, I Not don't, fucking bananas. I love bananas. <laughs> no, he loves fucking bananas. It's disgusting. I've seen it. All right, all right, all right, all right, fine. That's a side thing. <laughs> so, uh, Andy, what do you think happens to all these chemicals that they dump all over the farm. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, they, they either don't leach get... into the ground or into the waterways. <laughs> yeah, they don't get used up, and they don't evaporate, and they don't break down. So a ton of it gets into uh, washed into the surrounding earth, lakes, and rivers. Once they hit the water sources, they start to disperse globally. Fish and other animals in rivers and oceans absorb these farming chemicals, and then those fish get eaten by predators. Uh, circle of life. It's doing its job. But it turns out that while it's diluted as it washes out to sea, it accumulates again in the food chain. So the small fish absorb it, their predators eat them, and absorb it in greater amounts. Then those fish have predators that absorb it in even larger amounts. And now this goes all the way to the top, which would be whales, uh, orcas, the big-ass fish in the ocean. I would say it's not us. Well, we're not big-ass fish. In America, though, we are big-ass people. I would say we're top-end predators, though. I mean, mm-hmm. guess not predators, but we're, we're top of the food chain. Yeah, we're predators, yeah. Uh, but it's gotten to the point where um, it gets into these animals, and now doctors are coming across unexplainable rises in breast cancer in Inuit people up in Alaska. And this is what I was mentioning I had talked about in the uh, election episode. Uh, This went on for years before they realized that these people were being exposed to glyphosate, and even though they aren't using it. So sea mammals have a lot of fat to stay warm because they're in fucking freezing water. 
Uh, but they found that glyphosate ends up building up in the fat after the animals eat other contaminated animals. So it, it gets stored in the fat and it never goes away. So it just sits there. Because I would have these... thought the whole reason that an orca like uh, will literally beat the shit out of a seal is to get all the glyphosate out. Well, they haven't developed opposable thumbs yet, so they can't wring it out like a towel yet. No, but they fucking launched that sucker. Yeah, they're sick. They're they're like the the giant cats of the ocean. More fucking evil. Yeah, they are. It's pretty sick shit. But it's sicker still that they're just swimming around cancer bombs, pretty much. Because these are Indian they people, getting breast cancer? Uh, I don't think they have breasts, but I don't think it's an issue for them because it's stored in the fat. Do they have nipples, Jerry? <laughs> Can you milk them? I have nipples, Grizz. Can you milk me? <laughs> yes. So they end up, uh, these these uh, ocean mammals end up getting all this glyphosate stored in their fat. Now, the Inuit people, they live up in Alaska. Um, their, their main source of food is sea mammals. So they start eating all of them just like they have done for however long they've been in existence up there. And now all of a sudden, they have glyphosate in their system. And, of course, it goes to, the, to uh, fat. And now they have breast cancer. They never even, they don't, they don't even have crops, so to speak, up there, you know. They don't even have, uh, what do they got, two weeks of sunlight every year? Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. It's not, it's not like down here. I mean, they still got grocery stores. But I don't, think, I don't know if the Inuits use those. No, the Inuits, their grocery store is the ocean. You'd be amazed. I bet they do go to the grocery store. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I've seen some documentaries. They're fairly modernized, but they do still hunt whales and shit like that. Oh, fuck yeah. That's so, probably a delicacy to them. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest problem I'm seeing with conventional farming is all this chemical exposure and environmental impacts. Uh, it's obviously a major contributor to climate change, too, but now we have a population problem. As of right now, it doesn't look like any other kind of farming can sustain our global population without huge and rapid investment. We have currently seven and a half billion people on the planet. And by 2050, we're going to hit nine billion. So if we switched to strictly organic farming right now, we run into this problem where your crop yields drop 20%. And that might not seem like a lot. But when you're talking about feeding seven to nine billion people, and all of a sudden your food production drops 20%, you're going to have major issues. I think you could do it. Uh, you can, because that's where you end up recycling old people to make protein bars for everyone under a certain income level. Because you know the rich people aren't going to eat old people. All right, they'll eat young people. But anyways. No, they already do that. Now, personally... I think you could do it. I think you have to change America... Well, <clears throat> you have to change the world's mindset. You have to change America's mindset. And that ain't going to happen. No. Nah, well, I don't want to say it's not going to happen. I think it will happen, just maybe too late. Uh, I so, think it's not. Now, you might change Americans' mindset on how they have to attack, uh, to look at food, right? Because as it is now, we've, we've all done it, right? You go into the grocery store... You look at, uh, you know, a tomato, and it's it looks like it's, you know, it's got a wormhole in it or something, or it's a little bit rotten. You're not going to grab that one. You're going to grab the perfect looking one. Well, the problem is that food gets tossed away. So how much food do we waste in a year? It's a huge amount. Now, yeah, personally, so you could drop to the eighty percent. Yeah. Now, personally, Grizz, I'm like a modern caveman. I'll eat that apple anyway. I'll just, I'll cut the worm out. That's it. I don't have a problem oh, yeah. with that. Uh, now, I like everybody else in my household, if they even thought a worm touched it, they wouldn't go near it. So, And that's actually yeah. most of America. Oh, yeah. 
it's uh, an unfortunate side effect of modernization. You also have run into the problem is stuff that comes from other countries, you have no fucking clue what they put on it. No, you don't really know what they're putting on it, but most of our organic produce is coming from other countries. It is. Agreed. So, all your bananas, all your vanilla, and all your chocolate. Every every organic banana, vanilla, or chocolate that you're getting is imported. Well, you don't have to worry about importing vanilla if you use artificial vanilla extract. Well, yeah, that's just beaver ass juice. Yeah. Beaver anal gland juice. Uh, so let's move on to something more important here. How do we avoid mass murder and cannibalism on a corporate scale? Oh, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I was referring to Soylent Green again. Oh, my God. Uh, but let's talk a little, bit, a little bit about organic farming to see what the alternative is and see if it's really any better. Now, organic is a weird word for me because it wasn't even part of the public lexicon until after 1900. That's because everything before then was organic. So it didn't need to be labeled that way. They didn't even have access to all these chemical fertilizers and pesticides, so they didn't use them. Even when they were invented in the early 20th century, most farmers couldn't afford them anyway until after the 30s. They also didn't need as much food either. In 1900, the global population was only 1.6 billion people, which is an insane difference to me in 100 years. Well, 120 now. Uh, if you go off of uh, John B. Calhoun's notes, we haven't even had a population boom yet. Uh, that's pretty fucking scary. But organic farming, it's not as dangerous, and it's cheaper in the long term to not poison your environment. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so something we haven't mentioned yet is the external cost of farming. That's just the long-term effects of using artificial pesticides and fertilizers on the local environment. A prime example of that cost is the bee population. Another chemical we haven't mentioned yet is called neonicotinoid pesticides, which I'm sure your friend uh, knows about this. Yes. This oh, one yeah, particular I do too. Yeah, this one in particular is genociding the fucking shit out of bees. So there's some controversy there and I I should have talked to him about it, but at, when I so when I had my pesticide license, you had to go and and go to classes every year for continuing education, right? So you'd stay on top of your your shit. Yeah. And every year they would talk about the damn bees. There's zombie bees and bees with their heads falling off and shit. And they couldn't figure out why. And they thought it was neonicotinoids. And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. No, I think you got it right. But I think since then they've actually nailed it down to that's what it is. Which, for the listeners, it's essentially a nerve agent that... It's systemic, and it gets absorbed by the... It Basically, it'll lay on whatever uh, plant, whatever surface it hits. And if anything comes in contact with it, we're a little bit bigger, but any insect comes in contact with it, automatically it enters their body, and they start convulsing like a motherfucker. And then they die. Now, we haven't had issues like this as human beings because, as you know, Grizz, poison is... Uh volume dependent so yes. we we need a lot more neonicotinoid to kill us than a bee does um but bees are pretty important along with all the other insects that are being killed off by chemicals butterflies is another one uh because actually butterflies are also pollinators yeah if we if we don't get the and we're going to do an episode on the the bee collapse colony collapse um, if we don't get that in <clears throat> under control we're gonna have big issues yeah we are we won't have to worry about conventional or fucking organic farming so organic farming so organic farming is not free of pesticides 
but it isn't using anything like uh, the neonicotinoids or glyphosate. So their local insect population is remaining pretty stable. It's not killing bees, and they don't do monocrop farming, so pollinators like honeybees have a stable environment to thrive in. I know what you're thinking, though. Fuck bees. Stinging ass little bitches. And I'm I agree. allergic to bees, man. Uh, but we need bees to survive. Not but I'm Grizz. also not, not going to agree with you, what you said there, because organics use pesticides and insecticides, and some of them ain't fucking nice to the bees either. That's another issue that we're going to come into here, but uh, bees... Uh, just so you guys know what we're what to what extent we're talking about this issue here, bees pollinate about 75 percent of global plant life and about thirty five percent of global food crops. So no, they can't die. Uh, and organic farming is also really good about not stripping the soil down to desolate wasteland like conventional farming. And that's another major issue that it's I think I think it's kind of overlooked in the public discourse because no one's really talking about, the effects to soil. They're talking about the effects to people, which without soil and a healthy planet, there are no people. A lot of people don't really think about where their food comes from. They don't, they don't care. They don't have to, they don't have to make it right. Yeah. They care about how they use it in their food. And does this taste like shit or does it look like shit or how long is it going to last in my fridge? Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk to any farmer and they're not going to be talking about the plant. They're going to be talking about the soil. Yeah, and one of the main principles of organic farms is to improve and maintain their soil. And they do this with things like crop rotations, animal manure, composting, and crop diversity. Basically the exact the, opposite of conventional. But one of the cool things they do with uh, with their rotations, and this isn't a shit on conventional, shit on organic thing, um, on their crop rotations, so say they're rotating through corn, through soy, or whatever, I don't know if those intermingle with their their vitamins that they're absorbing, but there'll be one uh, crop cycle where they'll bring in animals. You know, they're not just taking manure or, or chicken shit or whatever and throwing it on the ground. They're bringing in the animals and having them live on that crop for that crop cycle, or sorry, that plot. Yeah. And that way they're turning up the soil, they're you know, shitting on it, which is fertilizer. And so they're bringing that soil back to life because that's what, Farming needs is fertilizer. Lots yeah, it's, that's a more natural process. Shit. <laughs> it, yeah, it needs all that organic matter, which, as I mentioned earlier, there is really nothing left for organic matter on an industrial farm. Because so, those they never see crop rotations or compost. Side note, as I said, I worked for a company that did pesticides. And we had one guy who would have to go... I don't know what he was actually hitting with this, but... He had this huge acreage that he would have to cover with chicken shit. And he had this little ride-on spreader that would fling chicken shit everywhere. And he'd come back every day coated in chicken shit. The machine coated in chicken shit. (laughs) It's like, that can't be good to breathe in, man. Like, I realize that's good for the ground, but... Uh, Grizz, it's one human among many. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. (laughs) Yeah, he was dirty anyways. He's a good shit. Actually, living out in the woods here in Connecticut farm country, as farm as it can get here, we're actually pretty rural. Uh, all of the neighborhood, or sorry, neighboring farms, they actually use chicken shit for fertilizer. And oh, right, it's a fantastic fertilizer. Oh, it's great, except that I live here. So for a month <laughs> out of the awful. year, I can't get away from that smell. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You can't get away from smells. I can't get away from sirens. <laughs> <laughs> so conventional farmland, as I was saying, it doesn't see the crop rotations and compost that they really need to see. Um, that leaves a lack of organic matter in the dirt. Without that, you end up in a situation where serious droughts are pretty likely. Uh, they pretty much just ignore the long-term damage. And like most, old, most things older generations have done, they store the problems for future generations to deal with. Organic, like, yeah. farming, organic farming can mitigate that with better soil management because of their more natural practices. And I actually am looking at my notes here, and when I mentioned earlier the 30% global soil issue, it's 30%. Uh, global soil is too degraded to use. So really? they've already damaged 30% of the dirt on this planet. And our planet's not that big. So 30% of the dirt is a lot of fucking dirt. Yeah. And coming back to Interstellar again, that movie's a, a visual depiction of what's going to happen if we don't change how we farm. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, we see Coop on a huge monocrop farm growing only corn because the soil is too depleted to support anything else. Now that's Hollywood, but it's, a, it's also a realistic possibility. Without healthy soil, most plants can't grow at all. It's where they get uh, micronutrients and things they can't get from sunlight and water. Part of this, and I know we're, we're trying to get into organics, but part of the issue with all of this is right now, uh, at least in the U.S., I don't know about overseas, the U.S. government subsidizes the production of corn and soy and one other, wheat, I think. And so for a farmer, he's going to make more money if he grows those things. And if he only grows corn, he's going to fuck up that soil. Yeah, he is. Uh, speaking of uh, fucked up soil and micronutrients, uh, it's these soil micronutrients that actually make organic produce and animals healthier for you. Uh, since So I want to kind of roll into the benefits of organic farming compared to, so far, what sounds like a shit show of industrial farming. Wait, so, it's not a shit show? <laughs> no, they don't use any shit at all. Wait, what? <laughs> so the Rodale Institute. Uh, Andy, oh, I know yeah. you looked at this a lot in your research, uh, but they actually spent the last 40 years compiling data for comparison purposes. And in 2018, they put it all together and they made a report about it. They found... Yeah, they're the longest research into organic. Yeah, 40 years. That's one of the longest research programs I've ever even heard of in any but it, field. But it is the longest research program for organic farming. Right. Uh, and what they found with 40 years of data behind them, they found that higher levels of protein and higher levels of 8 out of 13 essential minerals in organically grown food uh, basically beat out conventional food. So it's more nutritious. And they also found in the study that crop yields during times of drought were 40% higher in organic farms than conventional farms. Now, considering conventional farming leads directly to drought, that's pretty important. Well, yeah, the problem is once you've sucked all the nutrients out of the ground... It doesn't hold on to moisture. No, it needs that organic matter. Uh, so another topic, another topic that we haven't really touched on yet is the animals. Uh, I know this has been in the news since the 90s, but uh, conventional farm animals usually get packed in tight together wherever they live. That's pretty bad for the animal in general, but it leads to increased disease and all kinds of other like hormone issues. So to deal with that, they just give them antibiotics on a regular basis. So we get to see the benefits of this now, uh, but that leads to antibiotic-resistant res strains of whatever disease is common on farms. I don't really know what diseases they are, but farm animal diseases. Uh, organic farm animals don't get antibiotics, 
It's uh, called the E. coli. Well, yeah, E. coli is one of them. But uh, organic farms only give animals antibiotics if they're actually sick and they won't live through whatever illness without those antibiotics. And there's there's a lot of labeling issues when it comes to meat in particular. So there's this big craze that's been happening since probably, I don't know, what do you think, 2008-ish about farm, uh, sorry, grass-fed beef and things like that? At least. So we have this issue in America yet again uh, where the EPA lets these companies get away with labeling beef as grass-fed, which is technically true. They raise this cow on pretty much just a diet of whatever it can eat off the ground in the field. But they still want their money. And so they do what they call uh, grain finishing. So the last part of the animal's life, they just stuff grains down its face. until Basically just to fatten them up. Because the heavier a cow is, the more it's worth. And um, grass-fed beef is pretty lean. Too lean to make all that tasty, tasty farm money. As Americans, I need easy color coding to figure out what I'm doing. And actually, uh, speaking of color coding, organic animals don't do this issue, don't have this issue that uh, conventional farm animals do. But in America, we have this issue with visuals. People don't want to buy things that don't look nice. So all these conventional farms, they fill all these uh, meat products with dyes to make them a nice bright pink or whatever whatever the appropriate color is supposed to be for an animal when it's dead. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw firsthand what happens when people are exposed to something different because I recently got my hands on uh, a farm-raised pig. It only ate natural, healthy stuff. And I opened up the package of bacon, handed it to my wife, and she's like, what's wrong with this bacon? It's gray. I was like, well, that's the color of a dead animal. It's not actually pink. <laughs> they let the blood out of it. Yeah, it's not pink anymore when there's nothing red left inside of it. There's really nothing we can do to get around that right now other than researching what you're buying. Which, I mean, back to what you were saying before, you were talking about glyphosate. Uh, how do you know if it's on there or not? Other than you go, you go towards organic. And on that note, do you know what the difference is between the markings on organic food? I really don't, actually, other than when something has a big... A gold sticker that says organic, which I don't buy anyway. When you're buying organic food, if you're buying organic food, if it says 100% organic, all right, you're pretty, you're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now that still doesn't mean it's the healthiest thing in the world, and it's even that good for you. But you can guarantee that per the USDA, it's 100% organic. If it just says organic on it, it has to be 95% organic. And that other five percent could be glyphosate, probably. It could be anything. And if it says made with organic material, with organic products or whatever the hell it says, it only has to be 70% organic products. So that other 30% could be whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. So we can see organic farming is obviously a better alternative, but it's far from perfect. Again, the theory of it is great. Because if you talk to most people, most organic farmers, the theory of organic farming is that you're using less pesticides, you're using more natural ingredients, more natural things that occur in the world. They have this thing called integrated pest management. Now, again, through my courses that I had to take, the idea of it is great, right? And now they applied it to a lawn. And so this makes it really simple. 
Jerry, what problems do you have with your lawn? Uh, grubs and moles. Okay, so grubs, moles. Other people might have diseases, and then you probably have mosquitoes, knowing where you live. Oh, yeah, I have, uh, I have a lot of swamp in the area where I live, so we have a fuck ton of mosquitoes. Yeah, so when you walk out in the summer, you have a 50% chance of dying from mosquito. And Is it really that so- high? <laughs> no. <laughs> so their solution to all this is an integral pest management system. And basically what that comes down to is planting plants that will attract insects or, you know, we, we it's going to be called pests all the time, but they're insects, right? And not all insects are pests to us. Well, you can have a plant life or a plant growing that will bring in insects that aren't really a pest to you and I, but they're a pest to the mosquitoes. So now you have, you know, whatever it is, plant A over here that keeps the mosquitoes away. And you have plant B over here who keeps the moles away or the grubs away or whatever. And that's the theory behind organics, right? Is that realistically, they don't, most people believe that organic farming doesn't use pesticides. That is 100% false. Right. (laughs) They absolutely use pesticides. They're just not quite as bad as glyphosate. That's all. Well, that's not even true either. It's just. Well, when I say not as bad, I mean less, less likely to cause cancer. Still bad for the environment. That's not true either. Tell me more. All it means is that when you're using, when you, in an organic farm, right, Mm -hmm. is that you're, you're prohibited to use certain things. That doesn't mean they're good, bad, or otherwise. The, The things you're allowed to use have to be somewhat naturally occurring. Now, there are naturally occurring things that are awful for you and me. Like radiation. <laughs> That's one of them. It's a prime example of something totally natural that will kill the fuck out of you. So organics aren't, it doesn't mean it's healthier at all. But the idea of what we want it to become, that that I'll buy into. I'm game for that. But what right. it is right now, eh, not so much. No, we're, we're on our way. But uh, I think, though, overall, if you're pretty diligent about reading the label, getting something that actually says 100% organic, you're going to be broke, but you'll be a lot healthier. I was going to say, you're going to have no money. Yeah. I, I've i actually gone to, uh, it was some kind of organic food market uh, in the in my county here. And, you know, it's just 100% organic food. The, the whole store is that. They won't let anyone sell anything that's not. And most of it's locally grown. It's not uh, Whole Foods? It's not Whole Foods. It's like a local version of that. But... I went in there. I got what would have cost maybe 20 bucks at a typical grocery store. And when it rung up, it was almost $100. So there's oh, yeah. really, it's not cost effective for a consumer to buy that. Most people can't that, do that. That comes down to several things. And I, on that same note, I, I, we haven't gone in years. We used to go to Whole Foods. Uh, I couldn't have, we couldn't afford it at the time. Um, you know, you'd go to your regular grocery store, whether that's, you know, stop and shop, whatever it is. Um, and a hundred bucks, my cart would be full, right? 150 bucks, my cart yeah. would be full. Yeah, absolutely. I'd go to Whole Foods, I'd have 150 bucks, and I could see the majority of the bottom of the cart. So, you know, for middle-class Americans, it's just not realistic. But there are reasons for that, right? <clears throat> to get the organic seal on your food, there are things you have to go through, like you can't have applied anything uh, that's on the prohibited list to your land for three years, right? Yeah. 
And then on top of that, you got to pay to have the fucking seal. And that pay, it's like five grand to have that seal for one crop. Yeah. There's actually, right there, that already ticks up the price. There's another hidden cost involved with uh, switching your farm over to fully organic. So if you've spent the last 50 years on your family farm doing industrial farming, all your neighbors are industrial farmers too. So you're going to be the only guy in the neighborhood who's doing organic. There's really nothing stopping their overspray from hitting your crops. And when that happens, you can no longer sell them as organic. Well, not only that, if their field leaches into yours, you're fucked. Yeah. So you'll still have your crops, but you can't sell them as organic anymore. Um, uh, but I wanted to point out that Whole Foods is also known as Whole Paycheck. That's true. It's very fitting. Um, <laughs> but that's, like we were talking about here, that's not specifically... I don't think that's specifically a cost of organic farming itself, per se. It's more... The, the prices at places like Whole Foods is more of a supply and demand issue because of the initial investment. There's not that much of it happening. But U.S. demand for f- organic food is growing fast. Now associated with all these regulations and the time frame to convert, there's only about 1% of American farmland in use as organic farms. So most of the organic food we get is imported, and that drives up the price. So once we expand our organic farms here in America, I think those prices will come down, but that's not going to be an easy thing to do with you know your three-year turnaround to convert, the cost of changing all your business practices. You're going to have to hire new people, get different equipment for each kind of crop. And the expensive, the expense of uh, getting the regulation inspections and the licensing, it's not cheap to switch. No, which not is at all. Why we don't have very much of it now. The now you spend a hundred dollars at Whole Foods and you get a loaf of bread. And you have a year like this where a lot of the population is low in cash. You think they're buying fucking <clears throat> certified organic right now? No, Monsanto's so. happy right now. <laughs> so another uh, does Monsanto get into organics at all? No, which is why they're happy right now, because no one can afford organics. They're buying all Monsanto-grown products. Now, there's another issue that people aren't going to see right away when they start switching everything over. No one wants to do the work. Organic farms have to move back to working more like the pre-World War II farms. It becomes more labor-intensive because a lot of it needs to be done by hand to avoid all these herbicides and pesticides. And then they have their animals spread out which means human intervention instead of machine feeding them in a tiny cell, it makes the, the operating costs higher is basically what that amounts to. Well, they can that, still use the machines, but yeah, they're still going to be working a hell of a lot more. Yeah, they'll use the machines, but they're going to have to get new machines because a corn harvester is not the same as a strawberry harvester. When you, when you increase the operating costs and your overhead costs here in America, that's a big no-no. And really, most Western countries, that's the way it is. Uh, especially with the increased risk of crop loss. So without pesticides, these farmers could lose major amounts of crops to pests and diseases that can't be dealt with using organic methods. You you know, you can't go remove by hand plant fungus or an explosion of plant-eating bugs. There's no way you can get those off by hand. No, they still use, they still spray. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. If you want to actually be 100% organic, you can't do that. You're not what, on the scale that we spray? need. Yeah, you can't you can't really spray the stuff that's going to really kill all these bugs and plants once they start attacking your your crops. It's too late. You by can then. still you can still spray. The problem is, and and this is a one hundred percent fact. <clears throat> if you have a conventional farm, and we'll say 
whatever bug comes and attacks it, right? Yeah. You're going to say, all right, fuck it. You're going to hit it with an insecticide. And what we called it in the field is you're going to nuke it, right? And you're killing every fucking bug there is. It doesn't matter mm. what it is. It doesn't matter if it's beneficial or not. It's dead, right? Problem solved. Easy, easy going, right? But you had to do one application and that's it. And that probably wasn't that bad of an application. Organic, on the other hand, is using almost tenfold more of product. So, like, we'll say conventional used three pounds of product to, to do their entire crop. Organic has to use 40 pounds of product. And now, is that in one that application could, or multiple? That's one. Hmm. And let's say that product could be just as fucking harmful as the conventional. And it, you also get in when you get into the pesticides, and I'll, I'm not going to go into this too hard. It, it has a lot to do with how long it stays on the fruit, right, or whatever it is. And that's that's because uh, when it stays on the, you know, when you put these pesticides or something on a plant, especially these synthetic ones, they don't break down like we were saying earlier. That's why. Well, they're not meant to. They're meant to stay there for a while. Right. That's that's how they're designed. Uh, so that's why if you're not buying organic, or even if you are really. You have to wash everything or at least wipe it off. Now, there, there are studies that show that the amount that you're going to get on a piece of fruit, it's not really going to hurt your body. But I don't think that it's really been long enough for them to study that. And I don't think that their studies are really genuine when they, when they look into this. Well, one of the studies out there, um, and I think it was the Rodale Institute that did it, uh, they went with and and their I have to say their studies are a little bit different, right? Because they're deciding how that shit's grown. They're going fully organic. They're not even doing USDA organic. They're doing what organic should be. Yeah, right? real organic. And they put kids on a fully organic diet, and within some time frame, I want to say it was seven days, the kids were pissing out all the pesticides that they had in them before. So it, organic in theory works. It's great. It's mm -hmm. just the problem is we're not there. USDA is not that. No, and that those kids were pissing all this out because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of this, a lot of these chemicals, they build up in body fat. Yeah, they build up. Well, your liver also processes them. Your kidneys process them. So yeah, yeah, and they actually cause liver and kidney damage. Um, but you know, the, all these costs they make it really hard to do true organic, and essentially what that means is that. The incentive for farmers to switch is a moral incentive, and that's about it. Most people won't make a sacrifice now in their business to help future generations, even if yeah. it's their own future generations. Here in America especially, we're good like that. And this comes back to what I was saying before is realistically what it comes down to. It's not, you know, the USDA can put whatever they want for a regulation. It comes down to the farmer. And if you have big farmer doing it, I don't trust them. Not if you at have all. Joe Schmuckatelli down the street doing it, he's probably all right. If you're doing it in your backyard, you know what you're putting on it. But you don't know what's getting oversprayed from surrounding areas, especially no. if you live in an area with big farms. You also don't know what's already in the soil. And that and I was trying to save this for a little bit later in the episode. The sad truth is, if you're trying to be 100% organic, pesticide-free, chemical-free, and all that shit, I got news for you. You fucked. <laughs> because we've been around for a while. There have been a lot of chemicals blown around in this world. we got cars driving around. It's all leached into the ground. 
I guess I, where and, your food gets its nutrients from. And you might ground. be thinking, it's fine, Grizz. I'll outsmart the system. I'm going to move to a country that doesn't do any of this. That's not going to help you either. To put this in perspective, the rainforest in the Amazon, this is South America, They all of their nutrients, everything that feeds that jungle, comes from Africa. Uh, it goes up into the jet stream. This actively happens. It actively, actively happens every year. Dirt from the Sahara Desert gets deposit, deposited by the tons in South America. It's fucking crazy. So there's science. absolutely no way that contamination from the major countries using it is not global. It's everywhere. It you're not going to no. escape it anymore. The only thing we can do now is totally stop and wait for the half-life of all these chemicals to be up, which is a really long time. It's past our lifetime. So and here's the other thing is America... We'll say America, and I, and I don't think America's at the top of the curve when it comes to organic eating, but we'll just use them, for example. Yeah. Let's say America decides tomorrow, President Biden says, no more conventional farming, we're going fully organic. Doesn't matter, because the rest of the fucking world ain't doing it. You know, what is what is China doing? <laughs> and we're shipping these chemicals to China. China's pasting them all over the fucking fruit, veggies, whatever it is, and then shipping them back to us. Yeah, China's just doing its China thing. And not to mention... As soon as a, when we import fruit and vegetables, what do you think the first thing custom does when it hits this, this this country? I'm not really sure. They spray the fuck out of it with pesticides. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah, they probably do that. No, they 100% do that. <laughs> well, I know it's been uh, all doom and gloom so far. Basically, it sounds like we should just stop farming, stop eating, roll over and die. But let's talk a little bit about GMOs, because I think there's some hope there. So, yes. basically, what are GMOs? It's right in the name. They're genetically modified organisms. And as human beings, we've been doing a basic version of this for thousands of years through selective breeding and cross-pollination. But say you could say the entire history of any species. Yep. But this is the 21st century, baby. We're in the era of science. We don't have to do it that way if we don't want to. Now we can do it in the lab. And in simple terms, scientists insert new, instruct in new instructions into the nucleus of a plant cell. Then they cause that plant cell to replicate the same way it would in nature. Then a short time later, they have a whole new plant where every cell now has this modification. Then it can start cross-pollinating, spreading the new genes that it got modified to a new crop. It's not the most common way of doing business, but I think it's going to start growing because of the potential there. I think when you when you talk in GMOs, you have to separate livestock from from vegetation, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because GMOs, when it comes to livestock, he said very bad. He said no me gusta. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's bad. Bad for all. Everyone. We don't like it, right? And I think we've done pretty good at getting GMOs out of out of town when it comes to livestock. Yeah, I don't see that. I don't see a real benefit. Uh, compared to the risks involved if you were going to use GMOs on uh, mammals, which is essentially no. what we eat, uh, mammals and birds. that You're going you're gonna to run into too many health issues and potential uh, exposures that there's really there's not a way to mitigate them and not a way to implement GMOs in that, um, in that family of food without causing serious issues. But I'll, plant I'll life... I'll odd reptile. <laughs> but plant life... I think you're right. I think GMOs, when, you, when it comes to plants, that's the, really the way to go 
in the future. Well, the other thing with GMOs when it comes to plants is it doesn't have to be in the lab, right? No. It's been happening since the dawn of time. Corn. If, you, if you've eaten corn any time in the past your entire life, you've eaten a GMO product. What GMO is, it, it sounds awful, right? We shouldn't even call it fucking GMO when it comes to plants. A lot of it really is just a, it's evolution. A lot of times it just means you're getting two plants in the same area as one another that normally would not be anywhere near each other. That's why you have things like disease-resistant resi- grass. If you've ever put grass uh, laid seed down mm-hmm. on your lawn. We have seed that, that is resistant to diseases, so it's not going to wipe out your entire lawn. So we have nice, lush-looking green lawns. Same thing with, with vegetables. You know, and that's not a bad thing, and it's not affecting you as a human. You know, it's just it's that evolutionary line is getting better. Now, that's not to say that none of it is done in a lab. A lot of it is done, like you're talking about, with this cross-pollination process where they they basically breed plants to get the desired uh, the desired mutations that are going to help it survive whatever the conditions are. But I have no factual evidence, but I'm pretty sure the grapes that taste like cotton candy had to be produced in the lab. More than likely, I'm going to say yeah. Uh, but they do have they have some pretty advanced scientific methods that they're using for plant life. So companies like Monsanto, I, I'm not going to eat any of their uh, genetically modified plants if I can help it. You know, so, if I know that's what I'm eating. But what they can do with genetic modification on a cellular level, it's essentially the same thing you're talking about, Grizz. It's just a shortcut. They don't have to wait for crops over the course of a couple of years to change 100% to what they're looking for. They can choose what they want it to do. And that's how they do. uh, That's what I was saying earlier when they modify one cell and they propagate it the same way that we do bananas and just let it grow naturally that way. But they don't take away its ability to reproduce. So now they have this new propagated plant full of all the modified cells. Going forward, it's going to create nothing but plants with that cell. So it can have uh, more drought resistance. Uh, it can be more resistant to pesticides, basically removing something like a plant pheromone or hormone that is attracting those bugs. But really, it doesn't do anything to the nutritional value. It doesn't make it dangerous to eat. It just makes it less interesting for a pesticide or a, a pest. Yeah, and on that list of, uh, of GMO foods, also on with bananas is strawberries and tomatoes. You have not eaten a single tomato and or strawberry unless you old as fuck that wasn't GMO. Lab-based GMOs, for the most part, I like them. They do weird shit like Monsanto does this thing where they, I don't understand what's coming out of it, but they have uh, crops that produce their own pesticide and herbicide. That doesn't seem like some shit I want to eat. I mean, there are things that do that already. Cayenne pepper is a fucking insecticide. Yeah. Actually... Those hot peppers, because we're humans and we do weird shit, these hot peppers evolved over millennia to be too hot to eat. That's their Except mechanism for defending themselves, and humans are like, that's delicious. Here comes dumbass humans. <laughs> <laughs> this really hurts. I'm going to eat more of it. That's the thing is, unless you're really getting into the research of it, we don't know. We have no clue. <laughs> no. and There's got to be some level of trust, which has been 100% perverted over the last 50 years. Because of runaway capitalism, my, that's just my opinion. I'm yeah. I, f- I feel our generation is not very trustworthy. No, we're pretty jaded. Uh, you know, and I think it's not getting better. 
Um, but Jerry, you keep bringing up this Mons- Monsanto thing. Can you give me more? Explain this to me because I know what it is, but other people have no clue. Monsanto. One thing before I get into what Monsanto is, I want to point out because we're on the topic of GMOs, there are a lot of people rallying against GMOs annually because they're starting to get more popular and it scares the shit out of people for good reason. They don't understand it. It sounds scary. Um, and again, Monsanto does a really good job of fucking it up, but you see a lot of, um, a lot of protests with, we don't want GMOs on their signs, but I think that the issue is they're right. They're fighting the wrong battle. So they're, they're trying to end the use of GMOs. GMOs might be the answer to healthy crops in the future. What they really need to be fighting against is the real problem, and that's Monsanto and other companies like it. Uh, speaking of which, Monsanto was bought out by Bayer and I think, June of 2018 for over $60 billion. Which... When a company is sold for that much money, in my opinion, trust is gone. If a company is worth that much, I don't trust them anymore. Before you get into this Monsanto thing, I think you need to put it together, the correlation, and a lot of people have. And again, this is seeding that, uh, feeding that seed of mistrust. Bayer, who creates pharmaceuticals that take care of you when you've gotten sick, after you've gotten sick from the chemicals that you've ingested from your food. Do you they see now where own I'm going? both ends of it. And so they're just feeding themselves. One takes care of the other, and it's just a giant cash cow. Yeah, that's what they do. But, you know, that's it's modern corporations. So quit dodging the question, Jerry. More on Monsanto. All right, Monsanto. I'm just going to cover this briefly because we are going to be doing an episode specifically on this company in the future. But Monsanto is a company that was established in 1901, and they got they, they went into business doing all kinds of chemicals and shit like that. Uh, one of the one of the most prominent chemicals that they're famous for is they are the company that made Agent Orange, which if you don't know what that is, it's a really nasty chemical used in Vietnam that deformed and killed a shit ton of Vietnamese people. Do you know that it's also organic? Evil knows no bounds. It'll even creep into the organic realm. So those people who are motherfucking the shit out of me being like, no, organic's super safe. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take some Agent Origin. Agent Orange. <laughs> yeah, you can keep that. I don't want it. Uh, but Monsanto, I guess you can describe them as super smart, super rich, and super fucked. And ironically enough, as fucked up as they are, Bill Gates owns over 500,000 shares worth $23 million. That's how you know you can't trust it. What? But they, you, they, you don't trust Bill Gates? Oh, no. No, I don't trust anyone who claims to be an uh, infectious disease expert who has never been to medical school. Aside from being associated with Bill Gates and Agent Orange, uh, they've done some pretty fucked up things in the industry of agriculture, uh, one of which is they made their own GMO plants that don't produce seeds. So they can sell their seeds to farmers, but that leaves the farmers with no choice but to purchase those same seeds every year because they can't regenerate their own crops without... Fresh seeds. Is it that they don't grow seeds or they tell them they can't plant the seeds that they grown because they own the patent to the seeds? It's actually that's both. That's my understanding. It's <laughs> actually both, but they have GMO plants specifically that they engineered to be unable to create new seeds. They can't grow their own. They can't generate their own seeds in the plant like they normally would. Yeah, because yeah. I know I've heard that they 
will sue the ever living fuck out of a farmer if they find him planting seeds that he didn't purchase mm-hmm. or she. Absolutely. They don't mess around. Uh, but they, they actually managed to dominate the entire agricultural market to the point that they control the prices of just about everything. And that's actually how they get away with the whole non-reproductive seeds deal because there's not a lot of competition. They're, they're borderline uh, a monopoly. They're almost there. Um, well, now it's Bayer and their monopoly in multiple areas. Yeah, so you had two companies, Big Pharma and Big Agro. Now they're Big Agro Pharma, all the same thing now. Uh, so we're getting really close to 1984, where everything is owned by one group. They've been that way for a while. It's just now you know about it. Yeah, that's one thing that's really good about 2020 is uh, turned on the lights in the back room for all this shady stuff going on. But enough on Monsanto, because as I said, Monsanto gets its own episode in the future. And we're going to be talking for a while on those guys. Uh, so just to kind of recap, GMOs, they're pretty good with the potential to be really, really bad. Uh, they can protect against drought. They can protect against disease, insects, and they can actually enhance vitamin production and retention in produce. Uh, but these changes allow farmers to grow more food in more places. And there's a, a governing body, I guess you could say. It's the Council for Agricultural Science and Technology. And it's reporting that farms using this technology have experienced a 90% decrease in soil erosion, preserving 37 million tons of topsoil. They experienced a 70% reduction in herbicide runoff and an 85% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Now, again, nothing's 100%. I blame Monsanto for the fact that this stuff's not popular because, you know, (laughs) they they made everything just to increase profits for farmers and themselves. So, I don't know. It's just... I just got a real thing against Monsanto now. Uh, apparently, first it was Elon Musk, which now you have a hard-on for, and now it's Monsanto. I wouldn't say I have a hard-on for Elon Musk, but he did have the ability to turn his, uh, do basically do a 180 on his stance for COVID. So he's gained a little bit of respect because he was able to admit he was wrong in public. Don't listen to them. He has a hard-on for him. <laughs> he used to hate him. Well, I don't love him. I just don't hate him anymore. So, like I was saying, Monsanto does this GMO thing for business purposes, not really to help anybody. And that just don't sit right with me. Uh, They're not breeding a plant to survive its environment. They're breeding it to do weird shit that it would never happen in nature. But, again, the science is there, and it's sound. and It's already in use. It all comes down to greed. How How do you stop greed, right? At what point is fucking... At what point do you have enough? How much do you need to make? Well, I, I there are studies on this, but I think that when you reach a certain threshold of income and money and uh, profit generation, it it slowly develops this, um, I guess you can call it a mental illness. It might just be like they're, they've gone mad with power. But the more they have, the more they need. It's a weird thing. It's like uh, Pokemon, they got to catch it all? Absolutely. They're just <laughs> dumping their Pokeballs all over us. <laughs> I knew it. Bastards. So, I mean, that that pretty much covers the, the main gist of today's episode. We have a couple little things that I, I found interesting that we couldn't really bring into everything. Jerry, do you buy free-range eggs? Um, Yes and no. So I, I think I know where you're going with this and the whole idea of free-range 
and labeling. And I've had this conversation with quite a few people. What does free range mean to you? And what do you think our listeners think it is? So if you asked me before my research, I would think that that meant the chickens just lived in a field. They could go wherever the fuck they want. Now, free range is supposed to be that they are supposed to live like they were intended to live in the wild. Now, obviously, we can't just have a forest full of fucking chickens. Because then how would we ever get the eggs? So the the USDA requirement to market as free range, how long do you think they have to live outside in their natural environment in a day? I'll call it uh, a business deal. They've got to do eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. Five minutes. Hmm. I was off. Okay. That's fucking absurd. What's the point? <laughs> it's all. It all comes down to that labeling in the USDA, another captured it agency. It's, it's, it all comes down to money. Yeah, that's um, what it was. One thing we really didn't get into is uh, everything that has to do with pesticides comes down to the LD50 which is the measurement of toxicity. And what that means is when they're using a pesticide or whatever and they're testing it on, we'll say mice, at what point does f- of ingestion or, or toxicity do they lose 50% of the test criteria? So if they have 100 mice and all of a sudden they, do- they up the dose and they lose 50% of them or 50 mice, then that's their toxic- toxicity level. Some interesting used... Organic products. These farmers, when they're using a product, usually they have a truck, right? It's got a big-ass tank in it. And they pour in whatever the product is, whether that be a neem oil or a compost tea or spinosad or whatever. They they pour, they put in the product, and then they, they do the rest of the water. So whatever's in your tap water, that's going into the soil. <clears throat> now, I imagine most Americans filter their water nowadays. And that gets into a whole separate discussion on microplastics within the water, which is becoming a massive issue. Absolutely. It's a ma- massive issue globally, not just in your drinking water. It's everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. It's Absolutely. in the ocean, everything. But the beginning of this episode, Jerry, I asked you if you would, if I had had a drug that said neem oil and it said pesticides under it and I poured a cup of it, would you drink it? And you said mm, no. Sounds scary. Now, what's hilarious about this is neem oil is probably the best overall organic pesticide. I think it's actually a fungicide as well. There's no problems with it. It comes from a neem tree. Now, I don't recommend drinking a glass of it, but as far as when it comes to pesticide use, it's like it's the perfect one. It's the catch-all. It does everything you want it to do without any of the harmful side effects. That's not bad. And how come we're not using it? Probably we regulations we do. and money. No, we okay. do. Um, but, it, you know, there are things that come up that you can't use. You know, it doesn't cover. Um, but it, here's some other things for uh, chemicals that we use that are considered organic. There's one called spinosad. As far as the federal government's concerned. Good one. is considered an H410, which means very toxic to aquatic life with long, long-lasting effects. So there's another one. <laughs> organic. Not that great. We went over Agent Orange. Lastly, did you look up or did you come across Rotanone? And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong as well. Uh, I did see it mentioned, but I didn't look specifically into that that particular product, no. Rotanone is a pesticide, organic pesticide. It was actually banned for a little while, and it's actually come back. 
Would you like to take a stab at the, the side effects it causes? Diarrhea, constipation, blindness, uh, enhanced vision, deafness, and enhanced hearing. Uh, am I on the right track? Well, for one, it's penis enlargement. No, I'm just kidding. Hmm, uh, give me more. Parkin <laughs> Parkinson's. Oh, shit. So that sounds great. I want all of it. Oh, shit, man. That's crazy. So, yeah. I think in the end, we, we what we come to is, at least for me, I don't know, Jerry, you might agree with me, you might disagree. <clears throat> like we said in the beginning, the idea of what organic farming is supposed to be, I love. I'm all game for. In my backyard, I have a garden, and I'm going to try to do my best to keep it as organic in theory as I can. But what you're buying in the grocery store is not that. No, I agree. Uh, so, you know, this was uh, a really, really tough topic today. There was way too much information and nowhere near enough time to go into detail on everything, which is why earlier I said we're going to do a whole episode just on Monsanto. There's, there's just no time for it. So I want to just highlight some of the key points we went over, uh, some of the major points that I want you guys to take away from everything we talked about here today. So number one, first and foremost, Monsanto bad. Plain and simple. Number two, conventional farming is absolutely destroying the planet. And the name conventional is 100% a misnomer. It's really industrial farming. That's what we should be calling it. They have so many chemicals in use that the runoff is building up in waterways and animal populations in dramatic and unforeseen ways. Their monoculture and soil practices are stripping their land of nutrients and will eventually render the land useless through soil erosion and desertification. Three, organic farming produces about 20% less food than industrial farming, which is one of the reasons, among many, that it hasn't taken over yet. Uh, number four, organic farming is better in almost every aspect for human health and the environment, but they still use pesticides, they still have an impact on health and the environment. It's not perfect. It's just a little better than the alternative. Uh, number five, GMO science. It's good for humanity. Now I'm saying the science is good, not necessarily how it's being used right now by big pharma and big agro. Uh, it's just been bastardized by these greedy corporations like most other things in modern society. Uh, number six, I think one of the most important things that you guys should take away, the real solution to feeding an endlessly growing population on this planet without killing them by destroying the planet or giving them cancer, seems to be a combination of organic farming, GMO science, and responsible use of pesticides and chemicals on kind of an as-needed basis so that you don't lose your entire crop. Because, as we discussed earlier, poison is really volume-dependent. So you can be exposed there on occasion to something that would kill you if you drank a glass of it, and it won't hurt you. So if we're really only using these chemicals when we need them, if there's some kind of fungus bloom or an infestation of pests, okay, I can see using it in emergency situations. But we really need to make overall changes to the entire industry, integrating aspects of everything that we're doing now into one better cohesive plan. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much the end of the episode here, Grizz. You forgot the last one. Oh, Eating you have organic. one too. Yep, eating organic makes your penis bigger. And you just, uh, you know what? I'm going to be buying stocks in organic now that you just said that. Because when our, when our listeners hear that, stocks are going up. 
Yep, that's it. Uh, what's that? I hear something again, Grizz. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's Beyond Bastards. This is as far as we can go on foot. It's time to buckle up because we're going Beyond Bastards. Welcome to Beyond Bastards. What do we got going on today, Jerry? Well, I don't really have much of anything for updates, but I did want to give a shout out to our new listeners. Uh, we've got a uh, stable listener base here in the U.S., but we've picked up a few countries. We've got the Netherlands, Sweden, United Kingdom, Germany, and now Canada. Mm, so, Canada, eh? Hey, guys. I don't know much about your country, but if you have anything you want to hear about, just let us know. I know you guys don't know much about the U.S. other than the shit show you see on the news, so maybe we can give you some more insight. And thanks to the listeners stateside as well. We appreciate it. Absolutely. For today, I've, uh, I've got a couple technological things. One is Facebook sucks my ass. <laughs> mm, yes, they do. If you guys haven't figured out by now, Jerry and I, we're not, we're not social media people. Um, but we do use it for the podcast. Try to find new people. Uh, it gives us some way to talk to you guys. Um, I've been trying, and if you've actually been on our, our page, I've been trying to change up the name because we have a unique problem. Do you know what that problem is, Jerry? We use bad words. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's not so much that we use bad words when we're talking. We have a bad word, and I don't even think it's that bad a word, in our name. <laughs> and for those of you who've noticed, our Facebook went from Beyond Bastards Podcast to Beautiful B Podcast. Uh, and Facebook still won't let me do shit, so fuck them. And fuck Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and secondly, uh, starting this week, our uh, our website is now currently up and running. And that is beautifulbastardspodcast.com. That gives you guys a, uh, a direct line of communication to us. So you can go to the contact page. There's our email right there. And you can send us whatever you want to send us. Hate mail, love mail. Whatever. We'll take it all. Fans are fans. Grizz, what are we talking about next week? Next week's a good one. We are having a special guest on. Uh, you guys might have enjoyed his last time he was on with us. Uh, his name is Chris Blood, and we're going to be talking about some... It's a little dark. Rohingya genocide. It sounds scary. He's using the word genocide. I don't know much about it, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about it, because he's a smart dude. Yeah, most Americans don't know about it, but uh, it's going on, and it's uh, it's not nice. Now, genocide seems to be uh, experiencing a bit of an uptick, globally speaking, but we're going to find out about it next next week. Uh, so, with that, uh, I wanted to thank everybody for tuning in for another week. Uh, we enjoyed entertaining you guys for the day. Uh, Grizz, what do you got to tell people? As always, remember, it changed. Find us at beautiful B podcast on facebook and if you guys really want to help out the show stop by itunes and leave us a review uh, and with that hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and this episode and remember again don't take any wood nickels it's just a flesh wound <laughs> <laughs>